Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today, my guest is Dr. David Metcalf. Dr. Metcalf is a senior researcher and director at the Mixed Emerging Technology Integration Lab, METAL, at University of Central Florida's Institute for Simulation and Training. METAL was established in 2006 on Dr. Metcalf's stated purpose for inspiring innovation. David and I met here in Lake Nona about three years ago, and it is truly an honor to have him as a guest. We discussed the topic of learning in the age of artificial intelligence and machine learning, with special emphasis on the role of AI in augmented reality, virtual reality, and extended reality. At a time where many are concerned about the jobs that may disappear as a result of AI, we discuss the other side of that coin, which is the opportunities that are and will be available as the technology evolves. I truly hope you enjoy this conversation. And now, Dr. David Metcalf. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today, my guest is Dr. David Metcalf. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Rafael? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for making time. You know, you're you're a very busy man. We've been making, trying to make time <laughs> for what now? Almost two years to play music. So I'm glad, you know, <laughs> at least we can, we can have this conversation. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, so today we're going to be talking about augmented reality, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence and how it's impacting us today and how it could impact us in the future, uh, specifically in the field of learning. But before we get started, could you please take a minute and just share with the audience about you and your background and and how you got to to do what you do today? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So uh, thank you so much for everything that you do in the community. And uh, it's great to be on your show today, too. So thanks, Ralph. Yeah, so we've known each other for a few years in the context of being in a living laboratory in Lake Nona and the ability to go in and uh, take some of the latest and greatest technologies and get to explore them in new and unique ways, particularly in terms of health, education, the environment, and many other things that benefit our society. So it's been really fun to create with you, to uh, think with you, brainstorm. So I just view this as one of those opportunities. But we have background. Um, I started NASA's Multimedia Lab out at Kennedy Space Center and then spun that off into a company, did the first online exams in Silicon Valley, and uh, they were paid and uh, uh, sold that company and a couple of other cybersecurity companies over the years um, and uh, decided that I wanted to teach young people how to do the same thing that I had done early in life in my 20s uh, in their you know, younger parts of their life uh, here at University of Central Florida. I'm at the Institute for Simulation and Training. Uh, I have a laboratory called METAL. stands for Mixed Emerging Technology Integration Lab. So you can see how we get to play a lot with some of the different latest and greatest tools in terms of augmented and virtual reality. And maybe some of the things that really superpower those technologies, too, behind the scenes, the one you don't see as much. Um, so, so some opportunity to talk about those, too. Um, and it's been really fun for uh, almost uh, 20 years now in the university environment, too, as well as outside investing with uh, some of the groups that you've seen me with, too, like Global Blockchain Ventures and Merging Traffic, our investment funds. So we get to kind of wear a couple different hats in the community, but it's all um, in the spirit of inspiring innovation every day and uh, helping other people kind of realize their dreams. So that's been uh, the most fun and fulfilling thing that I think we both uh, share as well, too. 
Oh, that's fantastic! Thank you, thank you very much for for that background. So let's get let's get into it because I I am looking forward to see or to hear a little bit more detail about this. I know that you you know you have that background in in, in learning or e learning, and obviously we're living in exciting times with artificial intelligence and with augmented mm-hmm. reality and virtual reality. So why don't we get started with what's going on today in the field of AR VR and how it uh, connects, if you will, with learning and artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's been interesting because uh, the first part of your question, uh, there's been so much movement in the technology, in particularly in AR and VR. Uh, you've got things like the Quest 2 and now the Quest 3 coming out that uh, have really had a mass market adoption with less chance of feeling any sickness, with uh, whole leagues forming around uh, eSport and games. And a whole culture brewing up around these technologies, new and better games, and new and better applications for practical, um, uh, pragmatic use of these technologies. So think about in healthcare, think about in uh, finance, think about in education, a number of other areas too. And that's where our team gets to benefit and gets to play with some of these new technologies for the benefit of society. Um, On the augmented reality front, we've got uh, new devices coming out too. Um, We've got the Apple Vision Pro Plus and uh, some of the other things that have been announced recently. We've got uh, early software development kits for, and some people are starting to get pretty excited about uh, Apple coming into that space. Some of this technology that uh, they bought a number of years ago and have uh, continue to refine out of Scandinavia that we've gotten to play with for years. So it's uh, good to see it back on the market is one way of looking at it. These things have a way of repeating themselves. One of the trends that I'm most excited about is just how easy development in AR and VR is becoming too. There's some tools that allow you to capture 3D video or allow you just to take the camera on your phone and be able to go and capture 3D, turn that into photorealistic models in seconds. Used to have to have big, sophisticated cameras or something we had called Jarvis that had 80 cameras that took a picture of you in the surround and then put them all together. Uh, Gone are those days, probably. Uh, Motion capture is as simple as wearing a couple things on your wrist and your ankles. Those are some things that Sony was showing last week, too, at a couple of the conferences. There's just a number of things that are happening to make it far easier to produce this. One of those is a spinoff from uh, UCF called Access VR, making capture of 3D video and, and VR as easy as PowerPoint. So those are some of the ones that we're looking at that are really changing the market and the landscape too. It's never as easy as just PowerPoint to capture and to put these things into a uh, usable format for e-learning, for training, for simulation, for a number of other application areas to documentation of systems, all those things that we think of as in our enterprise jobs, right? Uh, those become much easier to, uh, to do. So it's been really great to see some of those tools that are uh, emerging. <clears throat> One of those sets of tools or categories of tools for the second part of your question has really been AI. And I've been shocked over just even the past few months at how things that we thought were going to be possible a few years from now are now possible right now. And then there are release cycles for very small teams of programmers that are using AI to continue to produce better and better every week um, image capture and and, uh, generative AI so that you have uh, uh, still images. 
But more so than that, there's tools like uh, Runway 2 we've been playing with that allows you to uh, auto-gen video and uh, motion graphics animation. Those are some of the types of things that could be in a headset and that you can speak into reality from a text prompt into not just a still image, which most people know you can do, but into animated graphics or at least a movie of something that appears to be 3D. Or, and here's the kicker, even true 3D objects. I saw a demo recently where you can uh, be in a 3D scene on a website and just say, in that 3D scene, give me a a meadow with a river in it and then uh, put a bear on one side and a tree on the other, put a cabin in the middle. I would like a campfire. And as you say those things, each of those assets in low primitives, you know, not, not, doesn't look very sophisticated, looks kind of like Roblox level, come onto the screen. Think about how long it would take someone who's really talented to go and, and, and set up that scene. It'd probably take them like, you know, three to five minutes, you know, nothing too long, but uh, three to five minutes to get it the way you want. And um, there we got the base scene set in about 20, 25 seconds. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but when you um, scale that up to a whole movie, or when you scale that up yeah. to even uh, even corporate or, or healthcare production, or are able to call in and say, "Give me an image of the heart. I need to be photorealistic. I need it to. I need to make sure that that heart has an arrhythmia, and I want you to show me that arrhythmia." And boom, it does it. Uh, those are the types of things that might take even more time to do. And all of a sudden, you've got automated production using AI of your finished product, which frankly can get closer to studio quality once you set the primitives and set the models that you want to have for the base models and then apply different lighting and filtering, you could just say, oh, change the lighting 20% uh, darker and make sure you give me a gobo that uh, gives me a a leaf pattern uh, sprayed over this at this interval of uh, I want it to rotate the full cycle every 25 seconds. And all of a sudden, all of those things happen rather than having to go and tell your key grip to do that or go and set your lighting inside of some parameters inside of a, a, a studio level application or an a, uh, you know, application like Unity or Unreal. Those are the types of things that are happening in simplified tools right now, but that there have been recent demos from all of the big players, including Unity and Unreal, for AAA game production to be able to make it as easy as that to go and create your 3D scenes. And then once you have the 3D scene set, you can still use all your normal feature functions of your mouse or your keyboard to go and move in precise place and precise lighting and everything else too. But to get a base scene set, do your set design, set dressing, and everything else too, with generative AI, with uh, pre-existing models or models that it creates on the fly, those are things that are pretty dynamic and pretty incredible that you can do. And we get to see that <laughs> in action. It might also make it so that you could say, oh, format this for uh, a web app, format it now for a mobile app. And I need it in this format to be able to go into a HoloLens 2, or I need it in this format to go into a Quest 3, let's say 3. Um, those are the types of things that start to become much easier. Some of this is here now, some of this is right around the corner, but these are the things we should be preparing for if we're going to be using this to produce learning outcomes and produce learning assets, simulations. Those are the types of things that we're starting to get to play with in the labs that are right around the corner for all of you. Well, thank you for that background. So I mean, let me throw something at you and see if you know you can... Can I expand on it or unpack it a little bit? You know, my I've been fascinated with the world of education because my mother, uh, she was an educator, and towards the latter part of her career, she was growing uh, frustrated with the fact that 
the education system really hadn't changed much uh, in decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, with the advent of personal computers and having computers in schools, that was kind of an inflection point in, in the learning process of, you know, the children being able to now have access to computers. Today, kids have access to iPads and different things. But at the end of the day, the process of learning is still pretty much the same, right? You know, the, the overall <laughs> overarching process is the same. It seems that we're finally at a place where we could be experiencing a true inflection point in the field of learning by this elegant merger of augmented reality, virtual reality, properly married with artificial intelligence uh, and machine learning engines to the point that now our children or our grandchildren could be learning in a completely new way that may look foreign to us, people like you and I who grew in a different era. Um, Do you see it that way? And if so, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I do see it that way. Um, But it's not a trend that's just started with AI. It started further back than that, too, with some of the educational technologies, some of the technology we almost take for granted now, the mobile phone, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, how accessible some things uh, become, and how it's easy to go in and be able to uh, repeat and practice things all the way to mastery when you have a digital assistant of some sort. That's what's been really fascinating to see. We had a uh, app that won Mobile App of the Year, not because it was for the military, not because it was so sophisticated, but because it was so simple. We applied a 100-year-old technology of the spacing effect. You know how parents always said, don't cram, it doesn't work. You know, if you do 60 minutes right before the test versus 10 minutes for six days, you'll do much better. Everyone will do much better with 10 minutes each day. But this automated, which uh, even simple cards that you saw, like uh, playing cards that you saw each day based on how well you knew them the day before or the day before, and got to where you knew everything to a mastery level, not just a minimum competency. We saw a 16% improvement in learning outcomes. That's going from a high C to a low A, and that's why it won the award. Not because of you know, glitz and glamour or anything else or what type of technology was used. It was because you were able to better implement a proven and very effective learning model that you couldn't really do very easily without the mobile device and the app to keep track of which cards you knew, which cards you didn't, and have all the metrics behind the scenes. That, that was all hidden from you. You just saw what cards you got. Now this technology is built into Quizlet and other things like that too, so it's become much more common. But at the time, it was it was kind of novel to have it inside of a modern technology and not have to have a very um, archaic and uh, a difficult system to try and get those results. Um, and the same thing is true for um, augmented and virtual reality, kind of taking a step, a leap forward into the, the core topic. We look at this and don't just look at bells and whistles. We look at results and a few studies come to mind that we oftentimes talk to people about uh, for this. If uh, you have 3D data versus 2D data, many times in complex situations, you make better decisions. One of the examples is having a 3D set of weather maps on your phone versus a 2D set of weather maps on your phone that uh, Airbus did with a couple of universities in, in France and in Germany. And they saw a 20 to 30% improvement in the um, outcomes in complex weather. Now, those outcomes in complex weather could be someone flying into the side of a mountain. So this is really serious. You know? um, this, is, uh, this is more than just learning. This is per- human performance mm-hmm. and human performance engineering. 
So we look at that and we say, well, you know, we want 3D. Then we talk to pilots. And pilots, you know, because of their, the nature of their job, unless they are a fighter jet and have a helmet that, that projects augmented reality, which some of those do, they're a commercial pilot. They don't want anything on their eyes or face and stuff, too. They want to have something they can just look down at a, at a phone or a tablet and have it be in 3D without any glasses. Those are some of the things, the technology we've been looking at, too, the LumaPad and other things like that that give you 3D, no glasses. Um, and then the same thing is true for heart surgeons, too. We have a company we uh, invested in outside of UCF uh, called RealView Imaging that has um, holograms with no glasses for heart surgeons. And these uh, very you know, sophisticated systems come out of uh, fighter jet helmets out of Israel and have been uh, approved by FDA here in the U.S. too through Johns Hopkins and some other studies. And uh, think about having a 3D view of the heart rather than having to look at one side view, another side view from MRI images, having that in real time. And being able to project that hologram into the patient's chest cavity so you can compare the real heart to the hologram heart and what you want to do for its actual uh, uh, cure and treatment um, with that. Those are things that are impossible to do and impossible to practice unless you want to be the person they're practicing on. <laughs> so those are the types of things that uh, are um, going to be already he are already here and are coming our way that we get to kind of see those results. That same 3D imaging for, for breast uh, cancer imaging has led to, at Emory, a study they did at Emory, uh, 5,000 uh, plus women, they saw uh, like a 49% reduction in callbacks to take a second look. You know, no one wants to ha know that they have to come back and have a secondary callback. The, you know, the, the costs, the, the, the uh, health uh, uh, accuracy and, of course, the psychological of that whole you know, whatever day, number of days thinking that uh, you might have cancer, all of that is a huge toll on society. And if 3D can help with that versus 2D, um, they were seeing a 26% improvement in positive diagnostic outcomes from using this technology. All these things are really moving the needle on decision-making in leadership and complex situations that you don't want people to make any mistakes and uh, that's where the true power of something like 3D, whether it's in AR, whether it's in VR, whether it's no headsets, you can just see the 3D laid out in front of you, just like in the Avengers movies or Iron Man or things like that. Uh, those things are uh, real in certain camps. They're very expensive, but they're real in certain camps, and you can uh, make use of them. The reason to use them is there's such high consequence that it's worth the cost of these systems. And then as we know, those systems will be 10 times cheaper in just a few years. And at that point, it becomes mass market adoption. That's the power of spatial computing, XR, extended reality, and some of the different systems in AR, VR, and training. You add the superpower of uh, AI, like I was talking about before, too, and you have the ability to have all the world's knowledge at your fingertips, it's probably a double-edged sword to that, too, before we get everybody yeah. too excited. Because uh, we were just talking earlier today about uh, who still knows how to do things <laughs> themselves. Yep. Yep. When the AI fails, who knows how to double-check the AI to make sure it's right? Who knows that uh, you may think you have expertise, but what if it's hallucinating? These are all things that are very real issues right now and will probably be real issues in, in, into the future. Uh, especially with people wanting to misuse it for things like deep fakes or other um, nefarious things that are part of hacking or part of uh, cybersecurity and terrorism and other things in our world that we don't like. 
there's always two sides to the coin of the technologies we use. And I know a lot of people are concerned about AI. Uh, we're concerned about it. We have some ethics policies here that we follow closely and uh, disclosure when AI is used and how it's used. But we are leaning tech positive on this too for some of the things that we see in the automation of very tedious and redundant tasks, the ability for uh, complex tasks to be simplified for people who would normally not have access or be able to do those complex tasks. And now it's something that can be second nature to them. That is uh, a new superpower of the internet. The same way that blockchain was a superpower of the internet to instill trust in people. And cybersecurity and uh, the ability to um, protect us from things like uh, quantum uh, computing attacks in the future where you have a skeleton key because every one can be a zero, every zero can be a one in your passwords. <laughs> Those are things that uh, we're all concerned about, especially if you're in banking or national security or health records, which everybody you know, has sovereignty to and should be able to um, control. Those are all things that there's potentially grave concern over and great promise. One of the things that we're working on, and I hope you'll join me in this, Raf, and a number of the others from our great health equity and AI uh, summit that we had at uh, KPMG uh, a couple weeks ago, and the other things we've done at HIMSS at the AI and Machine Learning Forum, other groups that are coming around to do uh, a new book called ABC, AI, Blockchain, and Cyber for Healthcare. And then... Uh, Subtitle that's uh, emerging technologies in the era of quantum. So, those are some of the things that uh, we'll be highlighting this next spring in the book that's coming out on that uh, that topic area too. So, number of things that we're pretty excited about, as you can tell. But it's really those crossroads, the intersection of some of these technologies, where we start to see the real power and benefit to society, as long as we can also. Uh, be thoughtful and mindful of some of the uh, threats and risks that are associated with those too. Well, that is very exciting. I think that that is, for me, it is, it, it is the most exciting part of what's going on is the fact that it's a multidimensional correlation or areas of overlap. You know, on one hand, you've, you've given us great examples about whether it's for defense or whether it's medicine and how these things overlap and how I as an individual, if I was a patient, could benefit from a doctor that is able to use this technology in an elegant way. But if we, we can, what I want the audience to also take home is, is that it doesn't, although that seems futuristic, uh, there are applications for right now. For example, uh, technicians who work on aircraft engines, right? And, and being able to use this exact same technology. You know, you're not opening a heart, you're not performing surgery on anyone, but you're performing routine maintenance at an, any given airport, right? On, a, on, a, on, a, on an engine of an airplane. And this technology allows you to do that job better, faster, check it, you can actually have someone who is remote check your job as you're performing it, right? And then possibly speed up the turnaround time of an airplane in any, any given airport. So we, we all benefit from that, right? You know, our transportation systems get better. Everything gets better, right? And then um, 
aside from the, the, the aspect of learning. And then on the other side, you mentioned blockchain, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is something that you work on. I, you know, I, I work on, on that also as part of my career. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are things that we worry about, but there's also exciting things. And what, what I, at least what I tell my kids is the market is open for anyone interested in working in these things because there are so many verticals and horizontals and you know, different dimensions of variations of these technologies for any particular market out there. So um, you mentioned in, in, in our conversation about automated production. Right, you know, for AR, AR, and, and VR. Tell us a little bit more about that because that's yet another <laughs> segment or offshoot of the combination of these technologies. All of this automated production for artificial intelligence can lead to a number of other things, like full digital twins of the different areas of a hospital, a manufacturing plant of uh, even like our chip production with a great project that's being run at UCF of our both Knight's Digital Twin and our MEDT with Bridge, the chip manufacturing down just a little bit south of the Lake Nona area. So those are all things that are giving models for what the next generation of automation, the front end visualization with AR and VR, the back end with artificial intelligence and advanced enterprise applications protected by blockchain for immutable records and um, looking at cybersecurity on those type of critical infrastructure pieces too. And that's what our government is investing into and that we're trying to help steward those uh, projects at University of Central Florida. Dr. Grace Bohinick is running that from the Institute for Simulation and Training and has uh, been showing some great results in that area. You know, that's very interesting. You mentioned that, you know, uh, people, those of, those of you who are familiar with digital twins, uh, it seems like it's something new. I always give people the example of a digital twin was in the movie Apollo 13, right? When they were trying to get those astronauts back and they created another setting here on Earth to emulate what was happening in space. That is, in essence, a twin, right? A, a, a something similar to that that is somewhere else that you're trying to emulate, right? And I think that that technology in itself, you know, as you, as you know, I'm familiar with the digital twin technology from a, from a point of view of wireless communications, you know, SATCOM mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, and just a mobile communications and, and that in itself, without the AI component, has grown quite a bit just in the last five years. So I am excited to see that technology take off when, when fully, fully merged with, with, with the AI and the AR, VR, or as you're calling it, the XR you know, component. And then also on the, on the cybersecurity, I'm also excited to see what, what can come from that as a result of I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, hacking keeps getting sophisticated as technology gets sophisticated. And, and these hackers today are looking at these artificial intelligence engine and they're looking at them and basically modifying them slightly. So you don't know they've been modified for years, but they've been doing things in the background. And so how do you protect that? How do you cyber protect, right? These, mm-hmm. these things that are supposedly helping us 
right? So I think all of that, um, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, there's professors, you know, your colleagues at University of Central Florida that today are working on this technology. This is, it couldn't be any more exciting if you're a young student, if you're a young, uh, an individual who's trying to learn from these things that, that we have, we have that here in Lignona, here in Orlando, and here in the United States. It's incredible what, uh, you know, Juan Santos and team have done with a whole digital twin of the whole community, even the intelligent home that we helped with and uh, some of the things with the autonomous vehicles, our hospital systems like the VA and UCF's hospital and uh, Nemours and others. It's uh, just really incredible to see how that uh, shapes a community and allows you to pre-plan a community very, very well for the benefit of its citizens and uh, residents. So what what is it that... Um is to kind of bring it all together and bring it to, you know, the, the audience here, the, on, on the everyday things, what are some of the, I mean, a lot of the stuff we talked about is being done in some level somewhere right now. I mean, yeah. just, just before I joined you on this call, I was, you know, here in the lab and, and, you know, here in Lake Nona and, uh, you know, Juan Santos, who's been a guest in this podcast, he's always playing with this stuff. And he was showing me how mm-hmm. he created a salsa song. Right. Just straight up AI. You know, I said, I want a song that talks about this and I want it to be in Spanish and I want it to have salsa rhythms and I want it to. No, 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 no. But you have to do it like this. It has to. There's, you, need, you need to put more feeling into it and, and you just keep asking these things. And lo and behold, here comes this song and you hear it and you can't really tell, mm-hmm. you know, at first <laughs> glance that a machine yeah, did yeah. the entire thing. Even the ad-libbing, which is very typical of Spanish, mm-hmm. you know, salsa music, is ad-libbing <laughs> that goes along and, you know, you have to make it more melodic, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. follow the melody a little bit better, you know. So yeah. those types of things we can do today. Um, where, where do you think we'll be, say, five years from now? What, what do you foresee um, and, and, and how... Does the average person need to be prepared to make sure that they're a contributor in, in that society? Yeah. Well, the same way that we had a, a very 2D and flat uh, user-driven economy with YouTube and Facebook and social media outlets across the board able to empower the end users to create things that used to be only uh, major media outlet content providers could produce. We may get to a point where a a dedicated group of people with a good story and a uh, good game mechanic could produce the equivalent of a what's now a AAA Hollywood-style game or a very realistic environment where the um, 3D images are just sitting on your desk as if they were game pieces in a board game <laughs> and you get to play with them. Um, those are the types of things that we've already seen some of the building blocks for. So I would not be at all surprised if in five years this technology is democratized because of cost and because of ease of use. If you can just speak it into existence and, oh, no, no, I don't want a, uh, a yellow cat. I want a, you know, a, a gray cat, a tabby cat. You know, give, me, give me that. And, you, and it changes everything for you on the fly uh, in a video scene, in a 3D scene, or even in a game that has a lot more moving parts and a lot more controllable pieces. You can set all of those things and have all the pieces that are usually painstaking and manual be automated and allow you 
the creator or the community that's creating something to really focus on the power of connection, the power of story, the power of your uh, ability to inspire emotion. And those are things that AI is always going to have trouble with for at least a while, but that it might free up uh, to let the machine do what it can do well. And then that allows all of us in a very human way to personalize and do the things that we can do well. And that's where I think you can not lose the passion, the excellence, the artistry of what happens to the mechanics of the tools that you use with these new new tool brushes or tools in your toolkit uh, that you might have. That's what I think is going to be interesting when you start to think about the next few years and how to really keep what we call high-tech and high-touch. The best of the human side of technology, the best of the automation and uh, computational side of technology, and uh, put those things together in new and unique ways. That's what we think the future of digital engineering is. And within the subset that we're talking about today, learning engineering, uh, thanks to uh, Ellen Wagner, who was the longtime uh, senior vice president of education at Adobe, who's uh, just written some things on that topic uh, with some of the people from Schmidt Ventures, other places, to really a hot topic right now in Silicon Valley to, uh, to look at that future and to think it through and to really not lose our humanity in that whole process. Oh, this is excellent, David. So um, just to wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, obviously you, you are a professor at University of Central Florida, you're director there of that lab, Metal, that you mentioned. What would you say, you know, if, if you're if, if a 15-year-old, 20-year-old, 25-year-old, or, or maybe someone, you know, my age is looking to reinvent themselves and become uh, a part of this movement, uh, where should they start to learn? You know, what are the, some of the things they can start doing now so they can become uh, part of this uh, of this movement and and become contributors and, and make a living? You know, doing these these types yeah, of things. Yeah. Well, there's some really good news on that front too. Now, certainly, I sit in an academic institution. And uh, it's a Hispanic-serving institution, minority-serving institution, one of the largest in the U.S., and also one of the least expensive to go to. We have access here at this university to technologies that no one else has, you know, uh, some of the advanced AR, VR technology, some of those different areas. Uh, for me, it was the same way. When I was at University of Texas, I could barely afford the $12 a credit uh, hour tuition when I came in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a little bit more than that now, even at UCF. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I got access to Pixar Renderman, which just became the company Pixar later too, one of the first two schools to have it. That got me my first job up in New York, just having access to that. The good news is your public universities across the nation have access to this technology and many of them aren't that expensive to go to, to take the right classes, to get some skills that you might want, as well as the education you might desire. Those uh, skills translate pretty quickly into jobs that could be life-changing for a family, too. We see that every day um, with some of the young people that uh, they've you know, gone from uh, you know, maybe a trade family to uh, a knowledge worker family. And uh, that's been a big difference for them in terms of wages and things like that. Um, that's not the only way to, to get ahead or anything else, but it's certainly uh, something that education can do. 
And uh, on the front of those that may not uh, be at a point in life where they're uh, going to be going to college or they maybe already have and they want to reskill or relearn some of these new things, you could come back. Uh, there's continuing education, but there's also a lot of great free resources out there. And there's a whole culture of um, being a lifelong learner and uh, both teaching yourself and taking advantage of the incredible resources, some of them free, out there online too. I always look at the things that Singularity University puts out. I look at some of the things that uh, free course areas like uh, Coursera and Udemy put out and others too, Udacity and uh, edX up at MIT. They have a lot of things. The other things cost money, but there's a lot of things that are free too. And even Microsoft and OpenAI, uh, the company that makes ChatGPT, uh, did a whole series of, um, of videos and courses recently to their free. It's like 55 hours, I think, worth of courses that are free to kind of get a head start on what the next generation of prompt engineering looks like, you know, where you know how to craft something in such a way that the AI gives you the result that you want. Um, that's a whole new skill set for some people, uh, but it's a pretty intuitive skill set. Once you get into it, the training doesn't take long, and that's why this is the fast chat GPT is the fastest thing to 100 million adoption uh, ever, <laughs> at least so far. And yeah. we'll see how fast other things go. But uh, uh, that's been uh, quite eye-opening to a lot of people in terms of eyeballs and mind share. So it's pretty exciting times, isn't it? Oh, I, I wouldn't want to be in any other time. I love history. People know this. But I don't want to be anywhere else in timeline right now. So I am very excited about your upcoming book. Yes, I had a great, fun time at the KPMG Forum last week. Definitely look forward to uh, hopefully work with you some more on that particular topic. As you know, I'm very, very passionate about AI and healthcare. So yes, uh, let's, let's talk some more on that. David, I know you're very busy. I am very grateful that you made the time for me and my audience. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And if people want to go and see some of the stuff that we're talking about, too, they can always go to metal.org, M-E-T-I-L.org. as a shortcut to uh, the lab and some of the fun things we're getting to work on at UCF. Yeah, I will provide all the links, you know, uh, for where you're at and, and your bio and everything so people know where to find you in the, in the summary of the podcast. Thank you, David. You have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>